book of Romans chapter number 7, please. The book of Romans chapter number 7. And uh, I do believe that our Redeemer is faithful and true. Over these 50 years or so that I've been saved, he's never let me down. He's been faithful and true. Would to God I'd been as faithful as he has been to me. Amen. I want to talk to you today about an unusual text since it's the end of the year and, and we're just uh, sinners saved by grace. If you're here today and you've never been saved, the only difference in you and me is I am a saved sinner and you are a lost sinner because we're all sinners. And I'd like to read you in the book of uh, Romans a passage that presents true transparency. I, I get kind of fed up to hear with preachers who's always condemning the congregation while excusing themselves. Uh, you know, I'm just kind of thinking maybe we're just all made of the same kind of stuff. And we all might have some of the same kind of problems. And we all might be dealing with the same kind of issues. It's just that some of us dress different and act different and react different. Notice Paul's description in Romans chapter 7, and I'd like to read for you verse 24 for a text. Here's a man that has written some 14 books of the New Testament. He is the author of the majority of the New Testament. Probably the greatest theologian of all time. Probably the greatest missionary of all time probably one of the greatest preachers of all times and undoubtedly one of the better soul winners of all time. Probably one of the most efficient, proficient prayers of all time. And he tithed. I just thought I'd throw that in there. But let me show you what Paul thought of himself. Verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. A saved man, a preacher, a missionary, a theologian, an author, a soul winner. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of this death. Had a pretty low opinion of himself, did he not? Oh, wretched man. Do you know any wretched people? 
people maybe that are deeply afflicted, dejected, rejected, miserable, and feel alone. You, you know anybody like that? I know somebody like that. I live with him. You probably do too. You? You know, if you read the Bible more, it would knock you off your high horse probably. And if you read it and really believed it, you'd probably realize you ain't no better than anybody else. And the only good thing in any of us is the grace of God. Uh, I would like to talk to you today out of this portion of Scripture about being transparent. Are not being phony. Nobody likes a phony. And I'm glad that I voted for Mr. Obama. If you believe that, I have some oceanfront property in Colorado I'd like to sell you right after the service. But I am so impressed with the transparency of his cabinet especially about Benghazi and Obamacare, the Iran Agreement, and Guantanamo. I'm, I'm glad that I know all that's all been put out there so we know what's going on. But today, for some reason or another, the buzzword in all the political arena is transparency. Much is said about transparency in government. I don't know who's going to tell the truth in government. I've never known one that did, so I guess maybe somebody might. We hear a lot about transparency in leadership, a lot about transparency in finances and control, and people always worry about transparency in the church about the finances. Now, they never give. They just want to know where it's going. Transparency. Everybody's worried about this is nothing new. We find transparency throughout the Bible. The Bible is a transparent book. It hides nothing. It brings everything to the forefront. If it speaks of the good, it'll also speak of the bad. And I'm glad of that. Talked about a man after God's own heart. His name is David. But he was after somebody else's wife once upon a time. The Bible is a transparent book. Heretofore, throughout the book of Romans, Paul is always using the, the, the pronouns that deals with the, the third person, second person, sometimes even uh, the second person plural, but in this chapter he changes his, his point of view and starts talking from the personal pronoun I. Watch this. Chapter 7. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, 
soul under Satan. For that which I for that which I do, I allow not. And what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. How would you like to go hear that guy preach if he told you what he thought last night? You're welcome. For then, I do that which I would not. I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. There's a program on television entitled The Monsters in Me. Weird bugs, parasites, creeps in unknowingly and begins to eat away at your body. I hate that program. I can't believe my wife watched it once. I hate it. I just see them bugs crawling around inside me. Chewing on my liver, and I need all the liver I got. But there is a monster in you. Yeah. Verse 18 For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but have to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. You talk about transparency. Paul's opened his life out. And the very, the very epitome of his soul, he's opening for you and I to see today. He's trying to show you that you and I are not the only ones that have problems. Trying to do good when something inside of you wants to do bad. You know, like read your Bible instead of watching television. Like praying instead of playing. I know I should be reading my Bible. There's a part of me saying, you need to read your Bible. But there's another part of me saying, you need to watch The Last Frontier in Alaska. There's a part of me said, yes, it's 10 o'clock. I need to go to Sunday school. There's another part of me said, 11 will do. There's a part of me said, well, I used to go to church on Wednesday night. There's another part of me saying, well, Bible don't say nothing about going to church on Wednesday night. I know what I ought to do. But I find a little war going on inside of me. 
kind of like the Indian chief got saved at a revival meeting several years ago when the circuit riding preacher went by. And the chief and the whole Indian tribe just about got saved. And man, what a happy time it was at the camp after that time. A year later, the, the evangelist came back to the tribe and began to ask questions. And the chief was answering the questions. And the, the evangelist said, Chief, how's it going since you got saved? Gesundheit. That's not what the chief said. And the old chief looked at the evangelist and said, well, since I got saved, it's just like two bulldogs fighting inside of me. One won't do good, one won't do bad. The evangelist said, Chief, which dog's winning? The chief said, whichever one I say sick them to. You might be sick in the wrong bulldog. Huh? Paul said, I got two bulldogs fighting inside of me. One won't do good, one won't do bad. Shall we read on? Verse 20. Now, if I do that which I would not, there's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law. That when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Sin does not come from without. Sin comes within. Isn't it amazing? You could be mad in Dallas, get on a plane, fly to California, and you get mad there too. Get on the same plane and go to Taiwan and get off the plane. And mad is there. Could it be possible you're taking your mad with you? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then... With the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. Our Father, today we thank you so very much for the season. and Thank you for the friends and the members that are here today. Teach us something, Lord, from your word. Make us better. Make us more aware, make us more attentive to the things that be of the Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've heard it said, if the Word of God was a ring, 
And the epistle of Romans was the stone in your reign, the sparkling part of the jewel would be Romans chapter number 8. Watch this. Paul has described himself of the wrestling match, of the battle he's going on in his own heart and soul. And then all of a sudden he breaks out into a hallelujah course in verse number 1 of chapter 8. There is there now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Even though you want to do right and you do wrong. Even though you want to say right and you say wrong. Even though you know it's wrong and you do it anyhow. Since you've been saved, God does not condemn you. If you walk after the Spirit and not after the flesh. I think here Paul is coming face to face with somebody that he knows very well. Dr. House and I have been friends uh, for now on two or three weeks. Some of you and I have been friends for a long, long time. Long time. In fact, I think there's one family in our, in our church. I've baptized five generations of the family. I think that's right. I was walking through uh, the store the other day. I, I never wear Bermuda shorts anywhere because folk just get so envious of those stumps sticking out of those things. And uh, I just hate to pick. I go golfing with Quick and some of these other guys, and they wear those shorts. And, and I wear my pants because I don't want to embarrass them on the golf course, you know, because if they saw what protrudes out of these pants, but they would be envious all over. Watch it, girls. Watch that stuff. Watch that. Started lying so much now, forgot where we were. <laughs> but I'm 76. I got a right to forget every once in a while. What was I doing? Oh, I was going to the store. I don't know why, but every time I get comfortable, my wife says, would you go to the store? And I just got my Bermuda shorts on, sitting there in the house with my clogs on. Had a T-shirt on that I had to stretch to get over all this. I think it was 10-week T-shirt on my T-shirt. And so I, like a good Christian, it's Christmas. I said, tell my wife to fly a kite on Christmas. I said, darling, I don't know anything I would rather be doing right now. Is that what I said? Close, she said. I said, why do you wait till I get my drawers off and get my shorts on? She said to me, honey, you'll not make anybody sick the way you're looking. You'll not, they'll not be envying you, and there'll not be a trail of women behind you. Uh, just go on to the store and bring your stuff back. So I was lazy. First time in years I've went in public with these legs showing. Now, I, I love driving a, I, I love driving a, a shopping cart. 
Always get one of them that's got the wheel that's flat on one side. Nobody ever noticed. Here I am in my Bermuda shorts. And I run right into a fella, and he looked so happy. I just wanted to slap him. I said, no, you're not married. You're having to pick up food for yourself. I guess I accidentally acted like a Christian. And he said, Dr. Wolfenbarger, it's good to see you. <laughs> Nobody knows me in this town. Dr. Wolfenbarger, it's good to see you. I am so glad to see you. Preacher, I want to thank you for the stand you've taken in this community for all these years. I thank you, preacher, for having the mind of Christ. He said, I want to thank you for baptizing my daughters 20 years ago. Thank you. Thank you. Have you ever come face to face with yourself? The great apostle is bringing us face to face with probably our spiritual hero in all the Bible. And he said, I'm going to knock the props out of some of you folks, and I'm going to get you to worship in the right guy. His name is Jesus. And Paul is bringing himself face to face with himself. Notice what he thought of himself in verse 24. Oh, wretched man that I am. See, Paul knew some of the thoughts that he thought. Paul knew what he had done behind the barn when he was a kid. Paul knew what was still going on in this saved person that's going to heaven. His sins forgiven, his name written in the book of life, and a mansion on Hallelujah Boulevard. Paul didn't let it go to his head because he didn't forget who he was. Are you listening to me now? Say, preacher, I'd rather if you yell and scream. No, let me just tell you the truth. He realized his condition, verse 18. Watch this. Paul realized his condition, verse 18. For I know... That in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Flesh is flesh. Whether it's decorating a bar stool or a church pew. And you rub flesh together long enough and sparks will fly. Whether it's in the pew or in a bar stool. Flesh. Paul said, you can't trust it. Flesh wants and wants and wants and wants and wants. And it never quits wanting. This body that we live in always is grabbing for something. 
thinks nothing about cheating somebody else or stepping on anybody else. Paul knew that in his flesh, in his body, dwelt no good thing. He said, for to will is present with me. But how to perform it, that which is good I find not. You ever heard of credit reports? People borrow money with the intention of paying it back. And they have good intentions of paying it back. But have you checked your credit? Something didn't jive. How to pay it back is a lot different than knowing they ought to pay it back. Oh, I must have hit a bunch of credit reports this morning. He realized his condition, verse 18. Notice, if you would please, he realized something else in verse 21. He couldn't fix it himself. Verse 21, the Bible said, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. We cannot get this ready for heaven ourselves because it's full of bad. It's full of evil. It's full of sin. Paul just looking in the mirror. He said, I don't like what I see. Notice verse 23. He noticed his real problem. For I see a law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Reformation was not possible because it was a permanent deal. How would you like to have a little transparency today? How would you like the Bible to tell you what's wrong with you? How would you like for the Bible to tell you how to fix you? Notice the biblical description of a man's true condition. You read it? Verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. that do I. You know, I read this morning about an 18-foot python swallowing a six-foot alligator. That was a bad deal. Alligator just eat him way right out of that thing. Now, how smart is an 18-foot python swallowing a six-foot alligator? That alligator just had his lunch from the inside out. That's a dumb python. Would you say that? 
Them python are known better than eating something with teeth that sharp. He should have known that what was within him was going to get out somehow. <laughs> Please, would somebody say amen? <laughs> what kind of dumb person would do what he knows he ought not to do? When he knows what he's going to do, is it going to be his undoing? But we do that every day. I said, we do that every day. We say things that put scars on loved one's heart that will never be eradicated. We pour food and drink and substances into our body knowing that it's going to kill us. Amen, 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 amen. See, another fool just answered. <laughs> it tastes good. It looks good. It smells good. It's deadly. Sin is lots of fun, or we wouldn't do it. But when lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And James said, when sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. Sin kills relationships. Sin kills people. And oh, Paul just coming face to face with himself. Do you know anybody who knows it's right to do thus, but just like hard-headed, egg-headed, intelligent human beings, they do something else. Have you ever got up in the morning and said, I think I'll do this and this and this? You went to bed at night and said, thus I did thus and thus and thus. And this and this and this is undone. Have you ever done that? Maybe Paul's talking about you. That which I would, I do not. That's what I would not, that I do. Notice he said in verse 16, If then I do that which I would not, I consent that the law is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. In verse 24, he sums it all up and says, O wretched man that I am. Paul said, I am one sick sucker. Sin sick. Saved, sin sick, on his way to heaven, wrestling with good and bad, the bulldogs of good and bad. Won't, uh, do you know anybody has to wrestle one of those things? Now let me let me tell you something. You know when this battle started? When he got saved. Paul didn't wrestle with sin before he got saved. He just did it. Thought nothing about beheading. Thought nothing about persecuting Christians. Thought nothing about it. Paul was just absolutely wild and mean. But one day, a light from heaven knocked him off his beast. And somebody said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? 
And Saul was saved that day. And God sent his Holy Spirit into Saul's heart and life. And now there is a God nature and an Adamic nature in Paul. And the struggle begins. Just because you got saved don't mean your troubles are over. When you got saved, your war began. One won't do good. One won't do bad. Amen. Could I ask you which bulldog's winning? Let me tell you which one's winning. The one you say sick of to. Amen. The reference here, O wretched man that I am, is a reference of the ancient practice of tying dead bodies face to face with criminals. <laughs> be a happy, happy day, wouldn't it? You think of anything more wretched than being tied face to face with a dead corpse? It's a reference Paul is making. Oh, wretched. Wretched men and them. I'm tied. I'm tied to a dead man. I'm tied to uh, sin. I, I'm tied to my ugly old life. I'm tied to it. Oh, wretched man, who can cut the cords of this dead body hanging in my face? Thanks be unto God, Jesus Christ gives us us the victory. Tied. That's the biblical description of all of us. Sin. Cursed, sin and dwelt. Notice the biblical remedy for this problem. Verse 25. I'm done. I'm going to be done at 12. You know, I started setting all the clocks in the office an hour fast. The folk walk in. Say, preacher, you hadn't set your clock back. I just said it to that. I'd already said it. And they say, why are you at all your clocks? I got three of them, all of them, one hour fast. I just don't want to miss anything. You'll get that later. Verse 25. He goes through this whole chapter describing, I would, I do not, I think I would, I'd like to. I, I just, I'm having a terrible time. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to be in church. I want to do the right thing. I want to be the right parent. I want to do this. And then I fail miserably. Everything I've done is a flop. Oh, miserable man. Oh, wretched man. Oh, sick man. Oh, sin. Oh, what am I going to do? And then he says, verse 25, I thanks be unto God. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, if a man's hungry, he looks for food. If he's thirsty, he looks for water. If he's sick, he should be looking for a doctor. If he's broke, he ought to be looking for a banker. But if he's wretched, poor, 
miserable, naked, and blind like Revelation says, you ought to be looking for Jesus. Huh? You don't need to go to a psychiatrist. You need to come to Jesus. Uh, you say, i got turmoil inside. Hey, don't we all? It's just if you got Jesus, you can handle it because Jesus does the handling. You got that? You say, what I need is a, is a shrink. No, what you already shrunk. What you need is Jesus. Amen. What you need is, thanks be unto God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I just believe with all my heart that if you're thirsty, you'll look for water. But if you're wretched and poor and miserable, you'll look for Jesus every time. I like what that blind man said over there in John chapter 9. Somebody said, well, what happened to you? He said, I don't know. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. I saw a man coming down the road by the name of Jesus, and he took a little bit of spit and a little bit of clay, and he dabbed it on my eye, and I can see. They said, well, explain it to me. I was blind, and now I see. I was miserable, then I found Jesus. I was wretched and poor and lonely, and I found Jesus, and that's what fixed my wagon. That blind, that, that miserable, in a, a paraplegic, sitting there by the gate, beautiful, by the temple, beautiful, and he's sitting there, bless your heart, been carried there, 40-some years old. He's 40-some years old, and they've been carrying him, down to the beautiful gate where people go in to worship. And he's been sitting there all these years. And he had a little golden cup in his hand. And he was sitting there begging because he couldn't walk. Somebody carried him there every day. Every day they carried him there. And he'd hold that little cup out. People would walk by and he'd say, Meshai, Meshai, Meshai. You say, what's that mean? I have no idea. For all you know, it could be a Hebrew word meaning, hey, could you lay some change on me? I'm broke. Nishai. Nishai. He thought he needed money. He didn't need money. He needed Jesus. And there's a couple of Baptist preachers walked by named Peter and John. He said, how do you know this Baptist? They said, I'm sorry, son, I'm broke. <laughs> a while ago, we had the offering. Some of you folks said, I'm Baptist. Let her go on by. <clears throat> Peter and John looked at the fella. And they said, silver and gold have I none. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Arise and walk. And they reached down and took a hold of the fellow's hand. And when that disciple grabbed that paralyzed man's hand, something out of sight took over. The Bible says, when John reached down and grabbed him by the hand, that immediately his bones and ankles received strength. I don't know if you know what goes on when that happens. Has any of you ever been out in the cold and got your feet so cold you couldn't feel them? Well, I have. And then you get around the fire 
and the blood begins to circulate again. Man, it just feels so good you can't hardly stand still, you know. Anybody listen to it? Huh? Well, when John grabbed that man by the hand, that fellow said, John, hang on, something's going on downstairs. The blood began to circulate down by his waist into the thighs of his legs. Never in all of his years had he felt anything below his waist. And suddenly, down here, it began to tingle. It began to hurt as the blood began to circulate and down to the calf and to the heel and to the toe. And that old boy jumped up and said, Thank God, hallelujah, I've met Jesus. And the Bible says he went running and leaping and praising God in the temple. Where'd your praise go? Who stole our leap? You know who stole it? That monster lives within us. That deadly monster of sin that fills us with the lust of the stuff that robs us of everything that's holy, pure, and good. Well, if I'm not done, I'm about ready to die. I used to do that and have it some left. No more. Biblical description of man. A monster lives within us called sin. Biblical dilemma and remedy for this terrible condition is Jesus. Please, the biblical description of what happens to an individual when he comes to the Lord. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to them. But you're in Christ Jesus. The devil may point an accusing finger at me, and God will say, I don't remember his sin. Because when he got saved, I cast all of Gene's sin behind my back, never to look at it again. Cast him into the deepest part of the sea. God says, now I know he's wrestling with this thing called Christianity. I know he's wrestling with this thing called sanctification, but salvation's already taken care of. I know he's wrestling with this thing of trying to be holy and trying to be better and trying to walk with Christ. And I know he's, I know, I know he's having those struggles. But he said, I'll never leave him nor forsake thee. Paul said, but thanks be unto God that give us us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is anybody here glad you're saved? Well, I want you to know just because you're saved does not mean you don't have struggles. 
And don't be ashamed of not of having struggles. Don't put on a pious, holy look like you ain't spit in the street in ten years. Because we're all just sinners. Saved by grace. Wrestling the same old sin. And one of these days, salvation comes in a three stages. Number one, I am saved from the penalty of sin. God took care of that Calvary. I am saved from the penalty of sin. I'll not go to hell. Heaven is my home. There's a mansion on Hallelujah Boulevard built just for me. Wolfenbarger's on the mailbox and spelt right. You can't have it. Not even Paul can have it. Moses can't have it. It's reserved in heaven for me. Amen. When I got saved, I got forgiven of my sin. No more penalty. Hmm? I am being saved from the power of sin. Sin does not control me no more. Hmm? I can say no to sin, some sins. Other sins, it's harder to say no to. Pepsi, it's hard to say no to Pepsi. Pepsi just has those big arms that pulls me in every once in a while. I am being saved from the power of sin. I'm closer to God than I was 49 years ago. I don't do things that I used to do, but I'm still doing things that I want to do. Anybody here like that? Huh? And I am going to be saved from the presence of sin. That's sanctification. Is there anybody here? You want me to tell you something about yourself? If you're not saved, you're a sinner. A lost sinner. And lost sinners die and go to hell. Very simple. If you are saved, you're a saved sinner. And if you're saved, there'll be a struggle of God's nature wanting to come to fruition. And there's a nature that wants to take over. That's you. If you do not have a desire and you do not have the struggle going on in you, you're not saved. If you can sin and belligerently and intentionally go against what God wants you to do, you're not saved. But if you do wrong and something in your heart says, whoa, you ought not be doing that. If there's that desire to walk closer to the Lord, you're saved. But if you do not have that desire, you do not have that new nature, 
You know what you've got to do to go to hell? Nothing. That's it. You have to do one thing. If you don't have a desire to please God and to serve God and to honor God with your life, you don't have to do a thing. Go to hell. Just go right on. You know what you've got to do to go to heaven? Get saved. You say, how hard is that? Well, real, real hard. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Hmm? You'll be saved. Don't have time for a little illustration and a story. But that just, let's be transparent about it, won't you?